Hi, I'm Paul Stringfellow and welcome to Tech Interviews. On this week's show, we dust off the crystal ball one more time as we finish our look ahead to 2020. So, sell back and enjoy the show. Hi, welcome to Tech Interviews. This week's show is part two of our look ahead to 2020. So, last week, we spoke with three people from across the tech industry and we covered things such as tech industry business consolidation. We looked at more and more cloud adoption and we talked about the potential death of blockchain. So, what have we got in store this week? Well, I've got two more guests who are going to give me their view of what they expect to see over the next 12 months. So, first up, I spoke with Veeam technologist Rick Vanover to see what he expects to see throughout 2020. Hi, Rick. So, uh, well, thanks thanks for joining us on uh, on this look ahead to 2020. Uh, so for people who don't know you, why don't you uh, introduce yourself, tell us who you are, what you do? Uh, cheers. Uh, thanks, Paul. Uh, my name is Rick Vanover. I work at Veeam Software. I'm going into my 10th year there, which is a, quite a long time. And, you know, I've been focusing on technologies such as backup technologies, data center and cloud technologies for uh, this time and the rest of my career. Yeah, it's um, it's interesting that you you know you're kind of a a decade in at Veeam as as we head into a new decade. So uh, who who knew back in the uh, the start of the last one that you you may still be doing the same thing uh, twelve months on, uh, so uh, ten years on. Um, but but I guess it's not the same thing. I guess uh, I, I guess the the job and and kind of the the industry that we're all a part of and some of the things that you see day to day have have changed massively over that ten years. It has. Yet in the in a way, I have a. A work ethic, I guess. If I find a job I like, right, I'm a lifer. I, well, not quite lifer, but I generally stay if I want to at places a very long time. So um, it was a good match for me. And yes, it's a whole new job, a whole new company, a couple times over in those 10 years. But uh, no, the, the, Veeam, the Veeam gig is working for me. Yeah, and I think well, people who listen to this show in the past and, and read some of my blog posts now, I'm a a real fan and an advocate of what Veeam do. I think uh, you know that they're, they're, they're a real smart company, got some some great strategic direction, and uh, and I'm very much looking forward to some of the things that are coming from you guys uh, this year. Um, but but you know, right, right, not just not just focusing on Veeam, and and obviously what we've been trying to do on this uh, this show is is kind of get your views of some of the things that you're expecting to see throughout uh, 2020, either either new trends or things that you see to expect to see extend from from the last 12 months um so so why don't we jump in with that rick so what what, what are some of the things that you're uh, you're expecting to see some of the trends or, or or general shifts that you're expecting to see throughout the next 12 months sure so there's really two things i'd like to see the first is i really want organizations to change the applications this is the hard thing i think that we're at a point now where the cloud and data center technologies can really do anything but i see too many times I see a lot of organizations like handicapped basically into very arcane architectures, very complicated application designs that I just shake my head. And I'm like, you know, pretend you're a new company. And if you were going to do something in that business, that line of business, that industry, is that what you would choose? And nine out of 10 times, the answer is no. You would take something more modern, take, you know, could be a SaaS offering, could be a better homegrown application, all kinds of different scenarios. So I think that changing the application, like having hard conversations with the business, right? These aren't IT decisions in a vacuum that really can pave the way for for more important things. I think that that is uh, something I see a lot of organizations like just tolerate, yet no motivation to to correct those types of things. 
I think that's a really interesting point about um, organisations tolerating uh, things you know, th- and that kind of, uh, you know, c- kind of being in a comfort zone and not wishing to make those kind of leaps that, that, that potentially have huge business benefit, you know, it can, can potentially deliver some some really impressive and, and profitable results, proper business transformation, if you like. Sure, um, sure. You, you know, and I, and I think it is interesting and something that I see quite a lot also. I think that idea of almost a reticence to change because, you know, and, and as human beings, I think often we are uh, comfortable with the status quo. We kind of like the way um, things go. And if actually you tie it back to what you were talking about with, with your, your kind of your 10-year tenure at Veeam that you've had, is that one of the interesting things that's probably kept you engaged and certainly something that engages me in, in my day-to-day role is that constant change. You know, it's seeing technology develop, it's seeing new things, it's seeing, um, uh, you know, new and interesting challenges. And, and that's what kind of keeps us the, the things fresh. Um, but but I think that, 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 that idea of not necessarily wanting to make big changes and, and particularly around something like an application stack is... Um, you know, it's, it's relatively commonplace, but but I think also it's, it's it's not just about changing for change's sake. I think as you're kind of talking about there, it's it's the idea that um, without that change, you're potentially handicapping yourself. You're holding yourself back, you know. And and I mean, it, it, have you seen successful ways of overcoming some of that reticence to change? Oh yeah, absolutely. And I think that that feeds into my second kind of vision and prediction and that's a a broader vision that i think hybrid cloud multi-cloud i think that's okay this is almost possibly a a little bit of a critique to vendors in the ecosystem with you know the message they bring to market but i my roots before the 10 years at veeam was you know it administration you know for miscellaneous types of organizations and I, i think that when we look at how do we go to multi-cloud, how do we go to hybrid cloud, and think about the challenge of modernizing applications, changing the applications, I think we have to kind of take an okay approach. And I, I really believe there's a lot of secret weapons on how to do that. One of my favorites is is Microsoft Azure. I think that it very strongly allows organizations to go into the hybrid cloud really well. I've worked with Azure more than I have uh, other clouds, and you know I've taken a particular specialization around Azure storage, and and I really like the the operations and the uh, capabilities that are provided there. So when I think about the, my other kind of preference for the future of hybrid cloud and multi-cloud is okay, that really takes organizations with their decisions on their applications and the business services. They have this great new arsenal of how to get it done. And I like to say that a lot of times organizations don't necessarily choose the cloud because it has, say, a better cost profile. They actually choose the cloud because it's the right platform, right? It's not about, I mean, economics are a factor, but if you're delivering a service, it might make sense to choose the right platform. And actually, sometimes that's on-premises. Sometimes that's in the cloud. Sometimes that's it, just in this case in the other cloud, right? There's Those are the, the factors I look at. And when we think about changing an application or deploying a new business service, that mindset I think is okay because organizations I don't want to say are going to get, I don't know. There's some situations like business rules prohibit multi-cloud. I get that. But I, as a broader vision, think that multi-cloud is okay. And the thought is back to that central decision of choosing the right platform for a workload, on-premises, 
hybrid or multi-cloud, that's actually the winning recipe. And that's my other piece of advice for organizations going into the into 2020 and beyond. I always think it's funny that when we look ahead, how often it's kind of um, it, it's almost take a, a look back as well, because I think the idea of um, and I think that's a really interesting point about that the the choice of platform should always be about the right choice. And I, and I suppose that's one of those examples of that's always how it should be. You know, we should always be choosing technology, not because it's the, necessarily even the technology we like, but because it's the right technology platform for our application, our business needs, the, the goals that we're trying to hit. Um, so, so I think it's interesting that one of the things that you'd, you'd like to see through 2020 is more of that choosing the right platform. And I, th- I think you're absolutely right. And, and the hybrid cloud is, is more than OK. Um, and, and actually something that you, you spoke about in your first point, and I think they, they dovetail together really well. Well, is that idea that if you are going to embrace public cloud, start looking at how you embrace it properly. And, and I think that's interesting that that plays into um, that idea of looking at re-architecting an application. Because if we're just taking the traditional, if we're just taking something that we've, we do this because that's what we've always done and we'll just do it in a, the, the public cloud, mm-hmm. then potentially you're not going to get all of the benefits that that public cloud, hybrid cloud, or even a private cloud provider's platform could potentially give you. Is that is that a risk you see? Oh, that's absolutely right. Because uh, a very like face level view of my advice, which is not what I'm saying, is to take these cumbersome applications on premises and put them in the cloud and what you without changing them. And what you've actually done is a probably make it more expensive and then B made it effectively uh, a museum that will keep it running forever. Okay, so I think that the change of the platform works alongside the change of where it runs and the change of the application. All of those are kind of collected steps because if if it's a if it's a lift and shift, like I said, you're setting yourself up to keep this complicated application forever in the cloud. Well, Rick, I, I think that's, that's great. I think really, really a couple of interesting in points and, and it'd be interesting to see that whether we see more of those kind of things. I, I mean, for me, I think we absolutely should because I think both of those things make an awful lot of sense and are exactly the kind of things that we should be looking for. But, um, but Rick, thanks for now and uh, wishing you all the best. Have a great 2020. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Paul. My pleasure. Some great insight from Rick there, and I particularly like this idea of deploying the technology that's absolutely the right thing for your organisation. Let's hope we definitely see more of that throughout 2020. Now it's time for my final guest on these 2020 Vision Shows. Uh, So for that, I'm joined by John Nicholson from VMware. John is part of the technical marketing organisation at VMware, but also the co-host of the excellent Virtually Speaking podcast. So let's see what John expects to see more of throughout 2020. Uh, hi, John. Uh, well, well, thanks for joining me. Uh, looking forward to finding out what you're looking for for 2020. But for um, well, for those who don't know you, have never heard you on any other kind of podcast before. You want to take a moment, just introduce yourself, tell people who you are and what you do. Hey, thanks for thanks for having me, Paul. Uh, my name is John Nicholson. I work for VMware. I work in the tech marketing org um, in the HCIBU. I focus on vSAN, but I also like to muse across the the, the industry a bit. Um, and so this sounds like an awesome opportunity to come on today. Well, and that is indeed. It's your musings that I'm interested in, um, as uh, as the actress once said to the bishop. So, um, so yeah. Well, why don't we have a start? Let's, let's, so, what are some of the things that you're expecting to see um, throughout 2020? Whether it's kind of brand new trends, or whether it's maybe a little bit more of the same, and, and just seeing how that develops. So, uh, so what are a couple of things that you're looking forward to seeing? So, I'll, I'll I'll try to do this in threes, since I always like threes. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm with you. I like a three. 
So the, the first one is uh, 5G. You're not going to stop hearing about hype, but we will see some some actual networks get deployed, so to speak, and some, some of the SDN stuff turned on. Um, what this will mean will depend on what part of the world you're in um, and I guess where your carrier is. But for those of us in the States and, um, and in some parts of uh, UK, we'll actually start to see some, some networks start to turn on. Hopefully what this will mean is better competition against, uh, for the consumer side, better competition against landline. Um, but for those of you on the enterprise or, or you know, business consumer side, um, we'll hopefully see more 5G services just embedded passively. So think of all those IoT devices you have that you have to get on Wi-Fi. We'll start to see some of that, that kit actually show up with, um, you know, start to show up with radios embedded. And at that point, um, you know, you'll just, you'll pay from the internet metering of all your devices is kind of, I guess the, the end game, the carriers in that regard. I, I think 5g is going to start becoming real to some people in the larger markets of the, the larger set of the, um, the countries that are a little more advanced. So it's interesting you mentioned that because um, and we'll, we'll talk about where people will be able to hunt you down and find you for those who don't already know when, when we wrap up. But um, that, that I, I was listening to uh, another podcast that you're uh, very often on uh, in, in hosting, in fact, uh, where you were talking about this kind of 5G stuff that um, you'd spoken about uh, uh, last year. And one of the things that really intrigued me around that was kind of the way it's going to change potentially where we place our data because one of those big issues that we see a lot of the time now is that that we're we're having to have data and compute sat at the edge and do lots of work there because we we don't have the bandwidth to get that back to our our data center and that was something that you expected to change is is that something you expect to see in 2020 or is that a little bit further out so some of the early stuff of that's coming out there's uh what is it stratum the google's uh console project to where their gaming console is basically just streamed from the edge uh, that works really well, or I guess it doesn't work really well. It works it works well enough if you're in a major market where they have local presence and there's a GPU, you know, eight milliseconds away from you. Um, if you're in South Texas or, you know, the cold frozen north or something, um, it's probably pretty miserable. But that's, that's going to require a lot of back-end infrastructure build out. Now, some of those environments already exist. Um, this is kind of a fun game you can play is go look at BGP peering. And so look at your carrier and see where they peer into certain um, uh, CDNs. Uh, CDNs are these basically networks uh, like Akamai, um, uh, but even people like Twitch operate them. Cloudflare is a really, really big one. Um, and see where they, they peer. And so in my case, I actually looked, I live here in Houston, I'm on the west side, and actually I was able to find that Cloudflare and Twitch actually peer into Comcast, who's my ISP, and you know, doing the math and as the fiber kind of runs indirectly, I'm about 10 miles away from basically those, those major peering networks. And so those, those low latency services where people push stuff to the edge, it's going to be very dependent on proximity. And so if you're in you know, very rural areas, um, this is probably going to be pretty late on getting a lot of this stuff. But if you're in major urban areas, some of the cooler applications uh, that'll come with 5G will come to you. 
Yeah, I think it's a. I do think it's a really interesting area, and it's not necessarily one that um, that people in enterprise technology that you know most most of us and most of the listeners kind of find themselves in. It's it's not necessarily something we talk about a lot. We aren't, aren't talking about, but but I'm with you. I, I can definitely see that we're gonna as as five G starts to roll out, we start to see the possibilities that we're we're maybe even finding ways of using that technology we've not even really considered right now. So um so yeah, so so really interesting area. So um well, what's uh, what's number two on the the Nicholson list for 2020? so kubernetes 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 Yay. oh man you're there's a whole bunch you, of guys going a to, right now. if you thought you were sick of hearing it about it this past year you're going to keep hearing about it um i think for you know for many people they already recognize that there's you know kubernetes is very important future of enterprise it um i think this will be the final year of, of shaking off the open stack you know people it's just going to be another open stack haters I think a lot of that is is driven by a couple things that I'm seeing with it. One, if you go look at who's actually contributing to Kubernetes, um, it's not just major vendors. There's, you know, you go look at the top 20 and you'll find some actual just regular customers of Kubernetes um, writing code and pushing stuff upstream. I mean, you see the usual suspects at the top, you know, Google, VMware, Red Hat, so forth. But... Um, it's it's got a pretty diverse amount of people pushing you know code and there's a they've got a good uh, governance there. The other thing is a lot of the challenges of Kubernetes I think are going to start to become more clear where we're going with that. Um, things like storage, so the uh, the CSI container storage interface layer being able to make block object and file really easy, um, kind of like you already have with CNI there. Some of the other things is your application ISVs. I think they're just going to start packaging increasingly a lot of traditional applications, and that'll become just a normal way you consume them. So, I mean, you can get, you can containerize Oracle's database. You can containerize Microsoft SQL. But I think that'll start to become, for larger organizations, a normal thing, uh, maybe not necessarily even databases, but a lot of middleware apps and things like that. Kind of, it'll it'll deliver on the promise that virtual appliance is meant to of making um, these applications easy to consume and reduce the complexity on the sysadmins and the ops teams who are pushing for deployment. So, do you think twenty twenty is really the year that we're going to get past the Kubernetes hype? I think it'll. I think we're going to get through the. We're we're getting past the top of the hype cycle. You know that classic kind of hype cycle. We're getting past the peak, and I think we're getting more into the realization of where it's going to be used. Uh, and that's well, actually much more exciting than just talking about something that no one's doing. And, and I suppose, and I suppose, actually, that was that was what interested me. What what you were just saying there is, is, do you think that we will find people utilizing Kubernetes not not even necessarily um, understanding that they are because that that idea of packaging what we see as traditional applications inside of containers and then Kubernetes to orchestrate the, its deployments uh, across an enterprise is is that actually how you see the adoption of Kubernetes being driven in 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 more traditional enterprises? Is is that more likely? Well, yeah, and I think one great example of that from the VMware world is SRM. The SRAs are just containers now with the new uh, Photon appliance for SRM. So your SRAs, which are what coordinate your your big storage arrays to replicate them as part of SRM, which is a DR replication software. This is a pretty old piece of software at this point. It's 10 plus years old. Um, and these these SRAs, it historically was a Windows-only construct. And when we decided to re-platform this to Linux, which people have been asking for for years, the logical thing to do is just say, okay, we need a plug-in infrastructure, we need multiple, we need 10 different storage vendors to be able to ship code and update code, and we need to be able to lifecycle all this 
And so, of course, you're going to put that in a container. And so even software that is not new hipster sauce, you know, DevOps, you know, stuff, it's just becoming a way to just ship some code. Um, I think that use case right there, this very mundane old school one really highlights how it's just going to get used by ISVs for packaging and getting stuff out the door. Um, the contain, and mind you, that's that's just containers. You're not necessarily running a full Kubernetes cluster there, but I think we'll we'll start seeing Kubernetes used in that way also. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, so, well, look, as we as we come to the end of our time here, uh, I don't want to miss out on because three, as you said, is the magic number. So I, I don't want to miss out on number three. So, uh, what, what's kind of the third thing that you're looking forward to seeing this year? Storage. It's yeah. going to remain hard. <laughs> it's going to remain. It's going to become even more boring. No, um, storage. So an area that I, I've worked in a long time. I think we, for a long time, we saw you know these battle. There always was. There always felt like there was another new storage startup. Um, there was a lot of VC being pumped into the environment. I think we're seeing a lot of maturity in the enterprise storage market. We've seen a lot of consolidation on the MA side. Um, there are some startups who are playing in some niche areas, but I I think with um, you know, kind of the failure of DSSD. We've seen that the, the chasing the tier zero, the ultra high end performance, has increasingly become a smaller market. I think uh, per, um, persistent classes of memory and servers are going to kind of really go, going to take away that ultra high end performance uh, crown that people are looking for. I think things like end memory databases are offloading a lot of storage I/O kind of away from the array in some cases. Um, I think the storage industry will continue to be more boring, more grown up, and hopefully just deliver what you guys ask for without a lot of um, challenges. And you see, um, and it is interesting you talk about that kind of more more boring and, and just you know kind of more more of the same. But but you see the way that we look at storage changing. I know it's a conversation we've had previously about the idea of of maybe changing the the focus of how you design your in, entire infrastructure, not just the storage part of it, but but kind of looking from a data perspective rather than from a an underlying architecture, underlying hardware perspective. Is, is do, do you expect to see that as well, or is that so, just making yeah, things up? Yeah, this is something I need to have you come on my podcast when we talk about. But I, I, I was recently at a conference, uh, Hitachi Next, at the end of last year, and I was talking to a gentleman who worked for, you know, he managed, I think, 50 petabytes or 100 petabytes. And the like, just the SCSI layer managing the arrays, that was boring to him. That was mostly automated. They were using VVOLs in their work. He was looking more towards um, the data um, data ops is this term that I've heard kind of floated around the industry. And so of saying, okay, this data was born in France. It has GDPR requirements. We need to make sure it's replicated twice. It has the following regional requirements. We've detected PII. So your data platforms need to be able to understand not just, oh, this is a block. I'm going to move it to fast or slow disk. But I need to understand where this data came from what is this data in here? Are there social security numbers? Are there, are there, is there PII? Auto tag, auto manage the compliance of that. Make sure that if some develop, someone tries to access that data that has compliance related, okay, are they, you know, in the legal department, are they allowed to access that data? Trusting your developers to maintain data sovereignty and data governance and just the people who write apps alone isn't going to cut it in 2020. 
We're going to continue to see breaches from people misconfiguring NoSQL and, these, and you know, so forth. And I think it's going to make it very real that we need to, data needs to be built on data platforms that are designed to, to force grown-up behavior. And again, this, you know, storage needs to become boring because when it's exciting, um, your company's name is in the press for leaking everyone's credit card numbers again. Well, yes, yeah, as, uh, as as we've heard, well, not not necessarily that way round, but certainly the the impact of uh, not not necessarily securing your data properly, as we've as we've heard with Travelex over the last couple of weeks, the impact of uh, not securing those systems and and the impact that has on your business. So, um, but I, I think that's a great place to end. Somebody else talking about data platforms other than me, so uh, it, it makes me feel like maybe I'll be right for 2020 as well. So, um, hey, John, look, if uh, if people want to find out a little bit more about you and the kind of things you do, and you, you mentioned your podcast in there, if people want to find that how should they go about doing that so virtually speaking podcast can be found in all of your podcast apps um as well as the speaking podcast.com okay and if people want to hunt you down on the twitters or somewhere similar john where will they find you uh, on twitter i am lost underscore signal uh if you want to send me an email podcast at vmware.com Okay, John. Well, thanks for that. Uh, look, look forward to, to seeing just, just how close you are to getting those things right throughout 2020. I'm sure people will tell us how far wrong we're all going to be as well. So uh, I look forward to the interaction on the internet. So, uh, But John, for now, have a, have a great year and uh, thanks for joining us. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that. For show notes, pop over to techstringy.com. We'll also find all of our previous Tech Interviews episodes. Next week, we take a look at VMware in the cloud. We look at VMware in terms of private cloud, public cloud, and how it helps people to build hybrid infrastructure with my guest, Kelly Goolsby. So to make sure you catch that show, why not subscribe? You can find us on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud and Stitcher, as well as on Spotify. And if you've got an idea for the show or would like to appear as a guest, why not drop me a line at podcast at techstringy.com. So until next time, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.